Hi everyone, thank you for joining us today and welcome to Eagle Eye. Every two weeks, we'll have exclusive interviews with your favorite BC student athletes, professors, alumni, and more. Make sure to follow The Heights on Instagram and Facebook to suggest guests you wanna hear from. You can catch up on the latest headlines on The Heights Facebook page every Monday. I'm Annie Corrigan, the Associate Editor of Multimedia. I'm Eamon O'Malley, Assistant Editor of Multimedia. So today is exciting because we have a special guest, sportscaster, television and radio personality and sports writer, as well as an alumna from the Heights, Leslie Visser. Ms. Visser, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Leslie Visser, uh, Boston College class of 75. And I don't know what they were thinking, but they gave me an honorary doctorate in 07. <laughs> so I am very proud. Thank you, Annie and Eamon for having me. Thank you for being here today. We're so excited to have you on. Um, as board members of the Heights, we all know about your incredible legacy as a writer beginning at BC, but could you please tell our listeners more about your start and what first got you interested in writing and following sports? Sure. Uh, I always wanted to be a sports writer from the time I was 10 years old, at which time the job did not exist for women. This was in the 60s. And um, my mom was really great. She, I said, we were living in Cincinnati. My family moved a lot when I was a kid and we were living in Cincinnati. And my mom said, what do you wanna be when you grow up? I was 10 years old. And I said, I want to be a sports writer. And she didn't say, oh, you can't do that. Girls don't do that. She said, that's great. Sometimes you have to cross when it says don't walk. So it was very liberating for me. And um, I carried that dream to Boston College. And I wasn't on campus very long before I went in the basement of McElroy <laughs> and you know, said, hey, could I offer a couple of stories? And they said, yes. And there weren't any other women writing sports. Uh, actually, I was in the first class of women in arts and sciences at Boston College. So anyway, I got started and um, by the time I was, uh, after my junior year, it led me to a Carnegie Foundation grant, which led me to the Boston Globe. So really, uh, Boston College and that little basement room, are you guys still in that room? That was my launching pad. Yes, ma'am. I'm in the biz side office right now. <laughs> so we are still here. We're still going. It's a great, I mean, 100 years and now all digital, and uh, I don't know if both of you write for the paper, but you should be really proud. It has quite a legacy. Thank you. We are very proud. Yeah, we actually just had production yesterday, so we were all working away um, in the office and uh, in Stokes. I don't know if you you remember Stokes at all, but um, yeah, it's been it's been a great experience for us so far. So, um, but yeah, you mentioned um, working at the Globe. Um, how did you uh, navigate this like gender minorization um, as a recently graduated college student um, who maybe had less experience than some of your older coworkers? Oh, that's a, a great question. Well, I had a lot of confidence. I'd, I'd grown up in the 60s where uh, politi politically it was so active and I went to high school uh, out near the Berkshires where all those colleges are, Amherst, UMass, Smith, Mount Holyoke. So we used to go on peace marches, we marched for civil rights. So I was a very 
confident person coming to Boston College, and I'd had that dream my whole life, and I was really nurtured by Boston College. Um, my favorite professor, he was the head of the English department, Professor Paul Doherty, and it wasn't just me who loved Paul Doherty. He was Mike Lupica's favorite professor. He was Bob Ryan's favorite professor. So I think we all were privileged um, to have uh, all of our professors were, you know, very um, encouraging. And for me, wanting to be a sports writer, someone like Paul Doherty maybe could have discouraged me, but he didn't. So uh, when I applied for this Carnegie Foundation grant, which I found out through Boston College, I mean, I owe so much of my career and my values to Boston College, but uh, it was given to 20 women in the country who wanted to go into jobs that were 95% male, which I know it sounds like the 1800s, but that was really all white collar jobs. And uh, a woman from Michigan, got it for archaeology, a woman from Johns Hopkins got it for ophthalmology, and I wanted to be a sports writer, <laughs> which uh, probably pretty much, well, they didn't have computers then, but that would have kicked out of the computer. But after a series of interviews, I got the job. I was the summer intern. The Carnegie Corporation paid the stipend in 1974, and the Globe was very welcoming, and I think I got lucky because all the writers there they were the 27 Yankees. Every single person was the best at his position in the country. It was Peter Gammons on baseball, Bud Collins on tennis, Will McDonough on football, Bob Ryan on basketball. And the high school writers were Dan Shaughnessy, Kevin DuPont, and myself. So we're all in like 9 million halls of fame. That's incredible. Um, so a few years after you started the Globe, you became a beat writer for the Patriots and you were the first woman to do so, even in your early 20s. Um, that was just one of a number of your firsts that you've pioneered for women in sports journalism. Uh, did you know at the time the impact you'd have on future generations of female sports journalists? No, I think a lot of that I was protected by my innocence. I mean, I knew I was always the first because there would always be other camera crews around or if we went to another city with the Patriots, but I was um, very young and I looked at everything as a challenge, not a hurdle. You know, as uh, people know, there were no provisions for equality, also known as the locker room. <laughs> and uh, there weren't ladies rooms. And I just looked at it, I was so grateful to have the job, which is another thing I think that kids who go to BC have. I, I think we have an attitude of gratitude. We're, we're mostly givers and, um, I don't know, I'm really proud to go around the country and having been from Boston College and represent Boston College. But um, I did start, you know, to notice uh, the real explosion for women sportscasters was in the 90s. And uh, I had already, uh, my first assignment for CBS when I went to television was the iconic Lakers Celtics series in 84. So I've always had a lot of pressure. And yes, when I was the first woman to cover the NFL as a beat, which was the Boston Globe, you know, people thought I was from Mars. And I had to adjust to the fact that it wasn't just new for me, it was new for the Patriots. It was new for, for men who were doing their jobs who had never seen a woman in this capacity. And um, I've told this story before, but the best Patriots to me 
were the black players. There were a couple in particular, um, Sugar Bear Hamilton and Tony McGee. And I used to go over their house and watch film, the old eight millimeter. And that's right when teams were switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4, a 3-4 to um, a 4-3 defense, four down linemen, three linebackers. And they would go over it and go over it. And really till I understood it, and, you know, I always say when I speak to young people that you need three elements, and I think I've had them um, in my career, but I, I would go over there, you know, really a couple times a week and watch film with them. And one time I asked them, Sugar Bear and Tony, why are you guys so good to me? And Sugar Bear said, because we know what it's like to be the only one. And I have always carried that. I mean, African-Americans have been around sport, but uh, most of their lives had not been. And here we are 40 years later with African-Americans still struggling. But um, it was very powerful to me. And I had a sense that, okay, I am the first and I'm going to pay it forward. And I'm going, if someone calls me some young person for advice. And uh, those three elements that I mentioned, I think actually men and women need it, but um, I always seem to share it when I speak uh, before women or take calls from women or whatever. Uh, one, I think you need passion. If you don't love it, don't do it. And I don't care what the job is, but particularly in sports, uh, a lot of the jobs don't pay that well. Um, and if you don't love it, you're gonna be angry. Well, God, why does that person have that assignment? Or why didn't I get a raise? But uh, I never, I was just as happy when I was at the Boston Globe covering the Final Four when I made $12,000 as I was at CBS, which was many, many, many multiple times more. But my passion was the same. So I think you need passion. I think you need knowledge. Knowledge is unassailable. Like if you just watched the Final Four, you saw that those Baylor guards, did you know what they were doing? Did you see what Gonzaga was trying? You know, they'd they try a zone here or there. What, can you see what they're doing? And if you have knowledge, that will make you confident. And the third is stamina. There's nobody who's been at it as long as I have or anybody in any business where you've pretty much gotten to the top that you didn't have lots of failures and along the way. And um, I'll share with you a couple of my most embarrassing stories if you'd like to hear them, but <laughs> I think you need those three elements. Thank you. That's that's really inspiring to hear um, everything you've you've said so far. Um, we know that you started your journey uh, in journalism at the Heights. Um, were there any specific moments um, in your career as a student journalist here that uh, encourage you to keep going or um, influence your career as a as a sports journalist? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, majoring in English and taking writing classes and getting to write for the Heights. I'll tell you a funny story. The very first class that I had with Paul Doherty, uh, who, um, as a matter of fact, 10 years ago, he came to my wedding and um, I married a guy who had been a Bob Knuth. He was a basketball captain at Harvard. And Paul Doherty came and um, my husband just couldn't wait to meet Paul Doherty because, of course, at Harvard, he'd had a lot of great professors. But uh, my first day in class with Paul Doherty, he taught a freshman writing class. Now, you know, this is a guy who went to Holy Cross and 
could read James Joyce in Latin, right? But he taught a freshman writing. And the very first day he told us, write whatever it is you want. What do you want to write? Just let yourself go. So I did a knockoff of an old poem called Annabelle Lee. And uh, I, I just inserted myself in it and I wrote, it was many, many a year, it was, it was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Leslie instead of Annabelle. Well, I went on to write this poem as if my mother's greatest dream in life was that I was going to take Paul Doherty's freshman English class. So, okay, we get them back. And this is a true story. We get the, the uh, papers and the grade back um, next week, the next class. And on the back, Paul Doherty had written, I survived a wit last year, and so shall I survive you, D+. Plus. <laughs> which, and the funny thing, the wit before me was Mike Lupica. So uh, I think I learned so many things at, at BC. And the one thing Paul Doherty said is read, read, read. You cannot write until you read. Read everything you can get your hands on. And uh, I really appreciate um, the people I've known who've gone through Boston College and become writers. And we have a lot of broadcasters now. And, you know, I really welcome Earl Grant and Pat Kraft to our campus just to see, well, Pat, I've gotten to know pretty well by now, but just to see how great it is. Um, I think we're seventh in the nation for our athletes graduating. And that is really a proud statistic. It is, I actually did not know that. That is a really incredible statistic. Um, as you talked about earlier, you started out as a writer for the Globe. Um, what made you decide to switch to sports broadcasting? Oh, that's a great question. And um, I loved every minute that I was at the Globe and I was really um, troubled by it because I was so happy in what I did. I, I'm still a writer. When people say, didn't you used to be a writer? I say, no, I still am. My deal when I went to CBS and then of course ABC back to CBS was that um, I would write everything that came out of my mouth because then I would be confident in it. And I'd written on deadline for what was always voted the number one sports section in the country. Matter of fact, Sports Illustrated named the Boston Globe years I was there, not because of me, but the years I was there, the number one sports section of all time. So it was you know, very heady and powerful to be at the Globe. And CBS came to me and they said, um, we had a woman who uh, knew television, the great Phyllis George, but she didn't really know sports. She was a great feature writer. And they said, so this time we wanna hire a woman who knows sports and we'll teach you the TV. And I thought, wow, I can, a whole nother set of muscles at the highest level in network television. And at first I told them, you know, I, I really don't think so. Why would I leave the globe? And it was two guys from CBS, uh, legendary guys, Ted Shaker and Neil Pilson. I said, why would I leave the globe? And they said, Leslie, there are only 20 of these jobs in America. <laughs> so I did, but not after I want to share, because I think the listener might be waiting for what were my incredibly embarrassing moments. So I'm gonna tell you two of them, one in print and one in TV. Okay, the one in print was, I'm covering the Patriots now, right, I'm 23 years old. And, uh, you know, I was fairly nervous a fair amount of the time, but um, I remember asking the coach, uh, then the coach Chuck Fairbanks, 
who was going to start at left tackle because the Patriots were going down to play the Dolphins, now coached by, as you know, Boston College graduate Brian Flores. He and I are really close. But the Dolphins then just ruled. They ruled the AFC East. So the Patriots were heading down to play uh, the Dolphins. And I said to Chuck Fairbanks, who's going to start at left tackle, Tom Neville or Bob McKay? And um, Chuck Fairbanks said to me, well, neither one can play the position. So I go racing back to the globe, 100 miles an hour, driving my car. What a scoop, right? The coach says nobody can protect Steve Grogan going against the Dolphins. So, you know, big headlines the next day. Chuck Fairbanks says neither one can play the position. My phone rang at 530 in the morning. Uh -huh, hello. Are you out of your effing mind? Why would I say that? I said either one can play the position. <laughs> Oops. Slight mistake. And then when I got to TV, uh, my first assignment after, well, after the Celtics was the US Open tennis. And there was a great player, Hanna Mandlikova, and she had um, risen, had a great summer. And she was from Prague. Uh, her idol was Martina Navratilova. She was Hanna Mandlikova. In case you don't know, Ova means daughter of. That's why there are so many Ovas in uh, tennis, Sharapova. Um, you know, you hear them at the Olympics, you'll hear, or skaters, you'll hear it. So Hannah had this great summer, and she won the U.S. Open. And my first interview was out on Court 16 with Hannah. And Brent Musburger, our legendary host, said, let's go out to Leslie Visser, who's with Hannah Mandlikova on Court 16 after her first match. And I said, Hannah, congratulations. Uh, to what do you attribute your sudden rise in the rankings? And she said, well, I think it is my new couch. So I thought, I don't know. Maybe she's sleeping better or something. I don't know. So I said, oh, did you get some new furniture? And Hannah Mandlikova said to me on network television, don't be ridiculous. Billie Jean King, my new couch. I see your hand. Other people aren't gonna see this, but I see you both. I see, I don't want your pity. It was terrible. And, and CBS would play it every year at our seminars. Remember the time, Leslie? So for all the listeners, you too can overcome great humiliation. Those are, those are great to hear. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of switching on a, a different note. Um, I'm sure you saw the recent controversy around the drastic differences in like gym equipment and other things between the men's and women's NCAA basketball tournaments this spring. For all the progress you and other women in sports have made, it seems like there's a, still a lot of work to be done. Um, going forward, what do you hope to see from the next generation of women in sports, both athletes and journalists? Well, for both, of course, I'm incredibly impatient and <laughs> I recognize that. But uh, what happened with the women's basketball is really deplorable. The NCAA as an institution represents all athletes, not just the athletes who make the most money. And for them to hold women's NCAA tournament, a final four, and not have the same protocols and the same opportunities provided for what they did for the men's tournament is, is so unacceptable. It's, um, it, 
it's uh, it enrages me. It enrages me and the NCAA, um, great men and women of, of the NCAA, but they are lagging on so many areas. The, the name and likeness now is finally they've come around that you must adjust that for the current athlete. And I, I know that women's sports, I mean, what are we ranked fifth? Maybe we move ahead of Notre Dame after sweeping them in women's lacrosse, that uh, women have arrived and we are here to stay. And I went to Boston College before Title IX, but I remember being in the dorm watching Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs, which I thought was the seminal moment of the women's movement. It was about gender equity. It was about social equity, financial equity. And I am privileged and blessed that Billie Jean has become a very, very good friend of mine. And uh, to see it all play out in the last four decades, but women are here and we are staying. Um, and for our final question, um, what advice would you give to young writers uh, hoping to enter careers of journalism and sports broadcasting, um, especially for women um, in such male-dominated fields? Yeah, it's sad to me that they're still so male-dominated. Um, I believe what I said before, you need passion, you need knowledge, and you need stamina. You also can't think that you're only going to work in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, because you will be discovered wherever you are. And um, I also would say stick to your dream. Like if you want to be an announcer, uh, don't just take a job as a producer because you might just get in that track and never get yourself on air. On the other hand, uh, if you want to be a writer, then you, originally we all imitate People, I, you know, I wanted to be Curry Kirkpatrick when I first started, who was the great Sports Illustrated writer. And it was so funny because Curry Kirkpatrick had his own style. The other great one from SI was Frank DeFord. And because of Bud Collins, I got to go to Wimbledon with Bud. I got to go to the World Series with Peter uh, for the Globe, got to go to the NBA Finals with Bob Ryan. I got to do everything. But at Wimbledon, Sports Illustrated would every other year, um, they would have a different writer. So one year, where, my, where the Globe seat was, was next to Sports Illustrated at Wimbledon on center court, and it would be Frank DeFord. And Frank DeFord was lyrical, you know, oh, the cumulus clouds, and he had big words that he would make sound easy. And then Curry was like um, the total opposite, like, ooh, who's sitting in Chris Everett's box, you know? Ooh, isn't that an actor? So Curry had that, you know, um, much more present and an analogous and, that's why I thought I wanted to be, but eventually you'll find your own style and you must stick to it. If you're not going to be Bob Ryan, kind of staccato and um, you know Bob uh, advises, lectures, <laughs> then that's not your style. Or if you're gonna be witty like the great Lee Montville was or some people at the Globe are now, then that's your path. So um, you must, you know, you get to try out some different things like a recipe, but then whatever you feel is your voice, that is who you are. And authenticity is just the greatest thing, I think, that one of the things we have to offer at Boston College, and particularly Boston, like all of us from Boston, I talk to Shaughnessy every other day, Dan Shaughnessy, and the thing we always say, what do we hate most if you're from Boston? Frauds. We hate frauds. So don't be a fraud. <laughs> that should be the bumper sticker. 
I have to say, I, I grew up like reading the globe and Dan Shaughnessy's piece about like the Red Sox and um, any Boston sports have always like made my day, even as a kid. So I, that's, that's great to hear that, that you're still so close with them. But yeah, um, I think that's all the questions we have today, unless you'd like to add anything else. Um, no, just that uh, I was very, very proud of um, going to Boston College and for one thing, for people who despair, you know, sometimes about uh, the football team, we're in great shape now, you know, and we, I obviously I knew Doug Flutie very well, I knew Matt Ryan very well, but I always point this out, that there is a trade-off, and we're in great hands with Jeff Halfley, just great hands nationally, and having covered the NFL for 40, more than 40 years, I know all the players who went to Boston College, and basketball too, and I'm still close to Malcolm Huckabee, and, you know, those great players from Oh, well, we've had a couple of brilliant runs, but um, Boston College athletes are really representative of what Boston College is. And for our football team, I always say, I cannot name a great college team that's not in a pro town. Look at Clemson and Alabama, Tuscaloosa, and look at uh, Georgia, that's in Athens, that's not in Atlanta. Even Notre Dame is not in Chicago, it's in South Bend. Uh, you know, down here, uh, I live in Florida, Florida and Florida State are not in, uh, well, uh, one in Gainesville, one in Tallahassee, which is the capital, but that's SEC country, as Annie, you know well. <laughs> so the fact that um, we are in, you know, I used to say this, if Boston College, if we beat Clemson, but, you know, Tom Brady sprained his ankle, well, we're going to be on page five. So, uh, and not only being in a town with all those pro teams, but they're all great. Like, what have they won? 12 titles since 2000. Well, that's hard, you know, to, to get, capture the media, but nationally we are known as a very academic, strong, proud school. And, um, you know, I'm thrilled to be part of it. Thank you again to Leslie Visser for joining us. We hope everyone enjoyed our interview and thanks for listening to Eagle Eye. Be sure to keep up with the latest episodes of Eagle Eye, featuring prominent guests from Boston College, as well as our THR videos posted on the Heights Facebook page every Monday for Boston College's latest news. Also, make sure to keep up with our social media at BC Heights on Instagram and Twitter and the Heights on Facebook. Don't forget to give us suggestions on who you want to hear and what you want to hear about. Thank you everyone for listening and be sure to check back here in two weeks for another episode of Eagle Eye. Oh, 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 oh,